Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, God, it is true that it is your great love which propels us forward. It's your great love that gives us comfort in times of sorrow and struggle. It's your great love that beckons us to love one another. It is your great love that motivates us to live a life that is holy and pleasing to you. Indeed, as your word says, we love you because you first loved us. We confess these things, Lord, and we give you thanks today for your goodness and grace. We give you thanks for the many good blessings you've given to us. We think of Joseph and Lily this week, Lord. We thank you and we praise you for the blessing of a newborn baby girl. We pray for them as they embark on this journey of parenthood, fatherhood and motherhood. May you bless their every effort to love their girl and raise her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We thank you for all the many other gifts, God, that you give. And we thank you as well, Lord, that even in trials and in times of sorrow and struggle, we can be confident that you are with us. We pray for any in our church who are in that place this morning, this week, this year. We pray that your word would bring them comfort, that your spirit would comfort them, and that we would indeed be motivated to follow your word and live in faith by your great love. We pray all these things in the good name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, last Sunday was the last Sunday of the year. This Sunday is the first Sunday of 2024. So last Sunday, we uh, continued in our tradition of looking back. Last Sunday of the year, we look back on that year and we give thanks and praise to God for all that he has done for us that year, all the blessings. And it's a good exercise for us to do that, to do that more than once a year, to do that regularly, to look back at our life and to say, look what God did there. Let's praise his name. Let's give him thanks. So this morning, in light of the new year, what we're going to do is instead of looking back, we're going to look ahead. We don't know all, none of us know all that God has in store for us in this coming year, but that doesn't mean we can't look ahead in anticipation for what is to come. So Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Verse 9 says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. What these verses do in Proverbs is they give us godly wisdom. They give us godly wisdom when it comes to how we should engage about thinking about the future and planning for the future. First, planning for the future is a good thing. You see that in these verses, and as well, Jesus speaks to this in Matthew 14 when he says, which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? So it's a good thing for us to consider the future, to look ahead to our, this coming year and to make plans and work, even, even have goals and to work towards those goals, those goals. But wisdom teaches us that when we do that sort of thing, when we look ahead, when we uh, set our resolutions or set our goals for the year, we must have the essential elements of humility and dependence upon God. We plan first, and then we commit our works to the Lord. We recognize that while we make our plans, He's the one who's establishing our steps. 
We plan and we strive in humility knowing that none of what we strive to do will actually bear fruit unless God causes it to do so. So as we've come to the new year, I want to help us to look ahead wisely. And what I'm aiming at this morning isn't so much to give all of us a set of resolutions or goals for this year, but it's more that I want to help us to get in the right frame of mind as we begin this new year. In a way, I want, us, uh, I want to, to simplify for us how we face what's in front of us. By the grace of God, we could ask, ask the question, by the grace of God and the help of God, what are, ought we to be striving for as we look ahead to the coming year? What are some of the basic characteristics that we're going to need, basic characteristics in our own lives individually and in the corporate life of our church that we're going to need in order to serve the Lord faithfully in the year 2024? Now, last week, I listed some of the wonderful gifts and blessings that God had given to us in the, in the previous year. And we could follow, up, follow that question up with, what ought we to do with what God has blessed us? God's given us many good gifts to be stewarded, as, to be stewarded well. So we are going to need a mind to work. And because he's called us to live holy lives in Christ, we're going to need a heart to fight. And since all of it comes from the Lord, We're going to need voices that continuously give thanks to him. So that's our outline for this morning. A mind to work, a heart to fight, and voices that continually or continuously give thanks to him for all things. So first, a mind to work. When God gives us blessings, or or we could call them gifts, he's giving us more than the gift itself or the blessing itself but also the responsibility to use that gift, use that blessing in a way that honors him. So for example, when he gives a married couple a child, they are not only given a child, but they're given a stewardship as well. The responsibility to raise that child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And likewise, we could think of this scenario. When when God gives a family a new house, they're also given the stewardship of taking that house and making that house into a home using that home for the flourishing of their family, and not only for the flourishing of their family, but for hospitality to those who are on the outside. We could say the same exact thing for when God gives a church a building like ours. The same same principle applies to all the gifts that God gives to his children. Spiritual gifts, material gifts, physical capabilities and skills. All of those things are to be seen as gifts from God that come with responsibility to use them in a way that honors Him. This is illustrated for us well in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, where Jesus compares in that parable, He compares the kingdom to a master who gives money to his servants, different money to his servants to invest, different amounts to each servant to invest while he's gone. And when the master returns, he looks to each servant for the interest that they had gained from what he gave to them. How did the servants put to use what God had given to them? How did their stewardship, how did they steward their portion in service to their master so they could give to him a return on what he had given to them? So what all of this really means is that when God gives us gifts, he's putting us to work. And it's, good, it's, it's, it's a good thing, work, this work that he's giving us is a good thing, because from the very beginning when God made man, what did he do with him? Immediately when God made man, he put him to work. 
Now, some of us, we, you know, we might be prone to think of work as, as a, a part of the curse, part of the fall. It's something that we're looking forward to when Jesus comes back so we can stop working. Unfortunately, that's a wrong reading of the text. That's a wrong reading of Scripture. Because in, in, in the creation account, work is a part of God's original good design for mankind. And so what we need as we look ahead is a mind to work, a readiness and a willingness to do the work that God has placed in front of us that came with the gifts that he's given to us. So we think about the work that he's given us. If you're, you're sitting there and you're thinking, I'm not sure what work God has given to me this year. I can tell you how you trace what work God has given to you. Go back and look at the blessings and gifts he's given to you. Because all those blessings and all those gifts come with work, right? So we find that phrase, a mind to work, it's actually a biblical phrase. It comes from the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king of Persia. And while he was there, Nehemiah heard a report that Jerusalem was in a state of disrepair. So he prayed to the Lord, and then he asks this king of this pagan nation to give him permission to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall around the city that had been torn down. And God granted Nehemiah's prayer, and the king says yes. And when Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem, he presents his case to the Jews who had remained there, and then to the priests and the officials of the city. And we read in Nehemiah 2, verse 17, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruin with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. And then when they're finished, Nehemiah says in verse 4 or 6, So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. God had answered Nehemiah's prayer to have the support of the king to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And in doing so, in giving God's people this blessing, he was putting his people to work. When they heard that what God had done, the people strengthened their hands for the good work and that God had placed in front of them. Why? Because they had a mind to work. Now, in this way, we should strive and pray for this characteristic of having a mind to work, strengthening our hands for the good work that God has put before us. So we might ask then, what good work has God put before us this year? If we're going to be faithful to the Lord, what has he given us to faithfully steward? Have you ever asked that? Have you considered that lately? Have you asked yourself, what work has God put before me? And in light of the year, what work has God put before me this year? What blessings and gifts has he given to me? And what work do those blessings come with? Fathers and mothers, God has given you the gift of children. And so with that gift, he's put in your lap all kinds of wonderful work. Changing diapers and reading bedtime stories. You're going to go from walking lessons to math lessons all the way, believe it or not, to one day you're going to be giving driving lessons to that child. Fixing meals. Dads, you're going to be fixing bikes. Moms and dads, you're going to be fixing attitudes. Teaching, training, obedience. 
instilling Christian virtues, reading family devotions, executing household chores. It's a lot of work, and it's good work that God has put in your hands. And by the way, fathers, it's your job to lead your families. You're the pastors of your home. So let me encourage you at the outset of this year to resolve to regularly lead your family in worship. Set aside time in your daily rhythm to read the Bible to your children and your wife. Pray with them, pray for them, and sing with them. We have an excellent resource to help you do that. There's small booklets out on our bookshelf called Grace and Truth. And in fact, we're going to be, uh, there's actually three of them. They're, They're designed for different ages. And my guess is that most of you are going to want book number one. And uh, we're actually next week going to start our catechism question and answer is going to be out of that little booklet. So I want to encourage families to grab book one, Grace and Truth. Use that. It's a great help in your family devotions. Not only is there a catechism in there, but there are verses to memorize. There are hymns to sing. They have some of the early creeds in there. It's a great resource. I want to encourage you to grab one. And actually, we're kind of running low on book one, so if you get back there and there's no book one left, Lord willing, next week we'll have more of those. Now, family work isn't the only work, and children aren't God's only gifts, right? Some of you have grown children, and you have none left at home. And that doesn't mean that God intends for you to be idle this year, of course. He's given you other gifts to be stewarded in this season of your life. If you have grown kids, that means that you have um, experience, experience that many families in this church don't have, and that is a gift that God requires you to put to use. How are you going to use that gift to serve the body of Christ that God has placed you in, to perhaps help other fathers and mothers who are in a stage or two before you? And if you have grown kids, perhaps you have grandkids. And that's a gift that is to be stewarded as well, isn't it? Now, maybe you don't fit in either of those categories. You say, okay, well, great, Chuck, thanks. Thanks for rubbing it in. I'm not married, I don't have kids, and I don't have grandkids. Well, that's fine. You're in the season of life that God ordained that you would be in. Maybe you're, you're, uh, you are single, you, you go to school, or maybe you're working a job. You're trying to establish yourself in a career. Whether you want to be married or not, whether you like your job or not, God has given you gifts to be stewarded for the sake of Christ's kingdom. If you have a job, that's a gift from God, and that work is to be seen, not just work that your boss has given you, but work that God has actually placed in your hands. You're you're to do all things as unto the Lord, even the menial work that your boss gives you. And it's likely that if you're single, you have less responsibilities at home than you would if you were married with kids, which means you have more time on your hands that God has given to you to be used wisely. That's a gift as well. How are you going to put that gift to, you, to use this year? What work can you put in your hands that will bless or benefit the body of Christ? Or maybe you could ask, how can I use this time to mature as a believer? Or how can I use this time, the the free time that I have in this coming year to better prepare myself to be a godly spouse, to be a godly husband, or to be a godly wife? Assuming that you desire marriage. And if you desire marriage, that's a good thing. Something you can be praying for this coming year. 
So we ask these questions individually. What work, good work, has God placed before me this year? But we can also ask these questions together as a church body, can't we? Because God has blessed our congregation with a building. He's blessed our congregation with many other gifts that come with lots of work. And that work includes things like vacuuming all of these carpets that we have, cleaning toilets, helping in nursery, teaching in Sunday school, making coffee, singing to the best of my ability, going out of my comfort zone to talk to people on Sunday morning that I don't know, doing slides, cooking food, setting up tables and chairs, helping those in need, showing hospitality to one another, or even just being here early to participate in Sunday school. All of that and more we need to see as good work that God has given us And we're to do all of it as unto the Lord. The building that God has given us is a tool for ministry, so we're to put it to use, this gift to use for Christian worship, Christian fellowship, discipleship, education, hospitality, evangelism. And in each of these areas, there's plenty of work to do. And this is a good opportunity for me to talk about our Sunday school classes. I mentioned last week how God has blessed our Sunday school hour this last year. 2023 was the first full year that we had a Sunday school hour with classes for both adults and children before our worship service. And the purpose of these classes is to equip our members with practical and biblical training. Some of them, like the intro class and the membership class, inform newcomers of who we are, what we believe, what we're all about, what we teach. So next week, our Sunday school hour is starting back up again for those who are getting to know us, if you're newer here, we have an intro class available. And that intro class goes into some of those basic beliefs of our church. We're going to have that in the upstairs, one of the upstairs classrooms at nine o'clock. And then while that's going on upstairs, downstairs, we're going to start a 10-week class on church history, which I'm very excited about. I think it's a class that's going to be very beneficial because church history is actually really relevant to us today especially when you look in early church history at all the various heresies and false teachings that went on in the early church. So many of those are relevant today because they're still around today. Now, you might be wondering, why, why, do I mention, why am I mentioning Sunday school right now in reference to work? Because I was talking about all the good work that God has given to us. So why am I talking about Sunday school? Well, because it requires work. And you think, well, yes, sure, from the standpoint of those who are leading, it requires work. No, it it requires work for all of us. It's work to all who attend. To get out of the house early, especially for parents with children, to get out of the house an hour early on Sunday to be here, then to listen and participate in the class. And in some cases, depending on the class, to to go away, then applying what you've learned in the class. Many of these classes are are actually meant to prepare us for the work that God has given to us. So, for example, we're planning this year, after our church history class, to have a class on evangelism. And we're also planning this year to have a class on hospitality. Learning and implementing those things, learning and implementing what we, uh, evangelism and how to better evangelize and then how to exercise hospitality, learning to do those things and then doing those things, guess what? It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of work. 
And all of this even applies to our presence and our participation in corporate worship. Singing the songs and meaning what you sing, reciting the catechism and meditating on the truths that you're proclaiming as you're proclaiming them, listening intently to the sermon with a humble attitude that is ready to learn, ready to receive, ready to rejoice in God's good deeds, God's promises, God's commands. It's hard work. And I know I just said that listening to me preach is hard work. And that's fine. It is. It will be, but it's good work. And all of this highlights the fact that God has given us plenty of work to do, individually and corporately. And as we seek to steward the gifts that God has given to us and set our minds to work, we can pray that he strengthens our hands for this work and causes our effort to be honoring to him and to bear much fruit in his kingdom. Now, Along with a mind to work, we also need a mind to rest. These are actually pairs. Because just like work was a part of God's good creation, good design, from the very beginning, so was rest. The creation rhythm was six days work and then a day of rest. And part of the purpose of that for man was that we would be guarded from trusting in our strength, our abilities, and our accomplishments. The weekly Sabbath was to set a rhythm of work and rest for God's people. Our bodies need that rest. Our minds need that rest. But we also need it because it interrupts our work to remind us that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And so we need a mind to rest. And we need a mind to rest because God didn't just say, rest when you feel like it. Some of us never feel like it. And if that's the case, we need rest more than we actually think. So we gather every Lord's Day to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and to rest in his work on our behalf. Our Sunday worship is a practice of that rest. We come here. And we sing our praises to the triune God saying, should nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive, unless the Lord raise the house in vain, its builders strive. If there's only work and no rest, then we're striving in vain because we're showing that our faith is not in God who alone can establish the work of our hands. Our faith is actually in our own hands. So we need a mind to work and a mind to rest. The intention to set aside time in our week to praise the Lord for His provision, for His goodness, and to rest in His grace. And especially then to guard Sunday mornings as that time that we do that together. What that weekly rhythm does is it infuses our work with rest because it grounds our trust in the Lord and not in our own abilities and strength. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house... Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Okay, so a mind to work and a mind to rest. And also, number two, a heart to fight. A heart to fight. Now, by a heart to fight, I don't mean that in the coming year, we should learn to be contentious and combative on social media or to be... Uh, unnecessarily disagreeable with those that we don't like. Nor do I mean that we should be fighting for our own personal dreams. You need a a heart to fight. And when I say a heart to fight, I mean go chase the rainbow, 
go get the gold at the end of the tunnel, you know, whatever it is. What is your dream? God wants you to accomplish that dream. Just go for it. That's not what I'm talking about when I say a heart, heart to fight. When I say a heart to fight, I'm referring to the spiritual battle that Christians are engaged in. 1 Timothy 6.11 says this, As for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. And then, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That good fight of faith is the pursuit of righteousness and faithfulness that God is calling all of us to. And so we need a heart to fight, to fight for joy in our Savior, in the goodness of God, and in His commands, and in His grace. And it isn't just a fighting for, but it's also a fighting against. We need a courageous and joyful resistance to the passions of our flesh, to the way of the world, and to the works of the devil. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to do what? Did you know the grace of God not only covers our sins, not only assures us of our forgiveness, but the grace of God actually trains us. What does God's grace train us to do? Trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. You see, one of the temptations we face is to have a heart of compromise instead of a heart to fight. We want ease and comfort instead of faithfulness and godliness. And so we look for ways to compromise with our sin. We look for ways to compromise with the upside-down morals of our secular society or to compromise with the lies of the devil. And when it comes to all of those things, what we need, what Christians need, is a no-compromise policy. Christ is Lord, and He is Lord of all. So whatever contradicts or tries to subvert His Lordship in our lives must be fought against. We must be willing to reject the lies that are both inside, that we tell ourselves, and the lies that are outside. We must be willing to denounce sin and resist temptation in our own hearts, inside, and live as we joyfully and courageously denounce the many celebrated sins and cultures, uh, sins of our culture. Now, there's, there's a number of disciplines that God has given to us that equip and strengthen us for this spiritual battle. One is prayer. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. And then a number of others are centered, centered around God's Word. Reading God's Word, memorizing God's Word, listening to God's Word, meditating on God's Word. You see, God's Word is like ammunition for the fight. His Word is like food that strengthens us for the battle. His Word is the balm that heals our wounds. It's the antidote for the poisonous lies that we've fallen for. It's the corrective lens that clears out our vision when it gets cloudy. It's the seed that when put into the soil of our lives produces a bountiful harvest. So th this is why every, every year at this time, we've, we've started to send out a Bible reading plan. We did that this last week to those of you who are on Slack, our Slack channel. We sent out a Bible reading plan. Why did we do that? To encourage our congregation to be in the Word. 
We want to encourage you, the leadership wants to encourage you, the elders want to encourage you to regularly be in the Word this year. Because Christians are a people of the book. Our fundamental assumptions are God exists, He's the Creator, and He has spoken. The God who created this world isn't silent. He's not a hidden God. No, He is a God who's made Himself known. He's made Himself known to us. He's motivated itself makes us good Christians. Or that we think that if we read God's Word every day, it's like kind of like an apple a day keeps the doctor away. You know, you read God's Word every day. A, a devotion a day keeps the sickness away or some weird thing like that. Like we think that now we're going to have special favor from God if He looks down and He sees us reading His Word every day. No, we do it because we realize we desperately need it. Christians read His Word regularly because of what Jesus said. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is how God speaks to us. This is our source of truth. This is our daily bread. It's our lamp for our feet to light our path. And reading His Word and meditating upon it is an important way that we fight that spiritual battle, that spiritual fight that we've called, been called to, that we fight against our flesh. So I would encourage you to have a plan this year for reading God's Word. This is part of how you are going to fight. You need a heart to fight and to read and to, and to have that, to, to fight faithfully. You're going to need to read His Word. So have a plan. How are you going to be in God's Word regularly this year? We actually have Bible reading plans out there on the bookshelf as well. They're just little pieces of paper that you can use as, as um, bookmarks in your Bible. And I want to encourage you to grab one of those. If you don't have a plan, you don't have to use that plan. I actually think it's cool. Last year, we had a lot of people using that plan. And when you were talking to people, a lot of times they would say, well, I read in my devotions this week. And you go, wait a second, I read, read that. And then you remember, oh yeah, we're on the same plan. So I want to encourage you to grab one of those if you don't have a plan. You don't have to use that plan, but I want to encourage you to have a plan for being in God's Word this year. It's part of how you fight. Now, just as with work, there's also another side of the coin when it comes to fighting. Because the Christian life is more than just fighting. It's also a life of delighting in the goodness of God and enjoying His gifts. So we need a heart to fight, and not only a heart to fight, but a heart to feast. Now, you may wonder if, if I mean that in a spiritual sense when I say a heart to feast. Am I, am I speaking of feasting literally or metaphorically, spiritually? And my answer is yes, both. Because in this regard, feasting is like resting. Whenever we are trusting in God's goodness and grace, we are in a way resting, yes, but then there is this physical act of resting and worship that coincides with the heart that is at rest. And so too it is with feasting. I would define feasting, Christian feasting, as the collective enjoyment of the bounty of God's various good gifts to us in a way that increases our delight in God himself. Let me, let me say that again. I should have had it on the screen for you to read, so I'm going to, I'm going to read it slowly. Feasting is the collective enjoyment of the bounty of God's various gifts to us in a way that increases our delight in God Himself. And so the literal feast, the act of gathering around good food and good drink that has come to us 
by God's good hand. It is, this is the practice that coincides with hearts that celebrate the goodness of our God and the goodness of His gifts. And like the necessary components of work and rest, so too God's people need the potent mixture of fighting and feasting. As we fight the good fight of faith and we deny the fleeting pleasures of sin, we're also to seek to enjoy the rightly the good gifts that God has given to us. A heart to feast is a heart that's eager to enjoy in Christian fellowship what God has given to us to enjoy to the praise of His goodness and to the praise of His grace. And there's nothing that fuels Christian fellowship quite like a feast with rich food and drink to savor in the presence of the Lord. Now, if you think I came up with this, you're wrong. This is actually a very old thing, and this is something we see even in the Old Testament. Listen to Deuteronomy 14.22. Deuteronomy 14.22 talks about the tithe. The tithe was a mandatory setting aside of the best of the harvest to be given to the Lord, and then, not just to be given to the Lord and to the temple, but also a portion of it was to be enjoyed together in the presence of the Lord. Deuteronomy 14.22 You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, and of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you, so that you are not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money, and bind up the money in your hand, and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses, and spend the money for whatever you desire. Oxen, or sheep, or wine, or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God, and rejoice, you and your household. Now one of my desires for our church this year is that we would experience sweet Christian fellowship around tables in our building, tables in our homes, and tables even in the park. That the practice of sitting together around tables set with savory food and drink, even perhaps on special occasion, well-aged wine, because that's biblical, that that would enrich our understanding of God's goodness to us, that He is a good Creator and Father to His children, that He lavishes on them good gifts to be enjoyed with gratitude to the giver, orienting our hearts to Him, that this year, by God's grace, we might grow in our enjoyment of His good gifts in a way that increases our praise and our joy in Him. You see, this is where asceticism gets it wrong. Licentiousness, which is the opposite of asceticism, indulges every desire without the boundaries of God's design or commands. Licentiousness never asks the question, has God actually given this to me to be enjoyed in this way? But asceticism does the opposite. It restricts and condemns the enjoyment of things that God has given us to enjoy. 
for the sake of promoting a kind of religious dedication or to gain a sense of control over our earthly body. But it misses the mark, you see. Paul warns the Colossians about this pseudo-spirituality. He says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces or the elementary principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not touch, do not taste. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence, that is, indulgence of the flesh or actual sin. Asceticism may appear to be spiritual by its demonstration of denying, one, uh, denying oneself any earthly pleasures but it's actually contrary to God's intention for his people to enjoy the gifts that he gives. And therefore, it's an insult to the giver. Because truly, it's the giver and his gracious and steadfast love that is the occasion for our feasting. We could say, if all we had this year was a dinner of herbs and the love of Christ, that would be sufficient ingredients for a Christian feast filled with laughter and joy. Amen? Are you sure? Okay. Thank you. So we need a mind to work and rest. We need a hearts to fight and feast. And finally, we need voices that unceasingly give thanks to God. Whatever God puts on our tables, our literal or proverbial tables this year, whether it's a morsel or a feast... We need voices that unceasingly give thanks to God for it and in all of it. Colossians 3.15 And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whenever there is a blessing given to us by God, there is the stewardship of that blessing, which requires work. There's the enjoyment of that blessing, which is the feasting. And then there is the opportunity for us to give thanks to God for it all. So as we begin this new year, and ask the Lord for a mind to work and rest, a heart to fight and feast, we dare not forget voices that give thanks always and for everything to the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the work of His Spirit. Psalm 90.12, So teach us, O Lord, to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And verse 14, Satisfy us in the morning with Your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we pray then as we look ahead to this coming year that you would let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children and let your favor, the favor of our Lord God, be upon us. And we pray and ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that you would establish 
the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands for your glory and our good. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.